Electric people, hello. It's Ty Williams. Today we had Ryan Radden on the show, a.k.a. Cascade. World famous DJ, producer, musician, singer, songwriter, businessman, family man, helicopter pilot, surfer. There are many faces and many hats this man wears. Um, I had Jason Allen with me, co-hosting. He's a sales leader out of San Diego North for you guys that know Jason Allen. Just a bundle of positivity and always good times. But him and him and Ryan have known each other for 10 or 15 years. So it's great to have them on together and to hear about some of their tales and adventures that they've had. But as you guys know, this show is about people that stand out in their field, people that are electric, whether that's door-to-door salespeople, door-to-door sales leaders, whether that's environmentalists, whether it's athletes, business people, entrepreneurs, authors, speakers, writers, We look for people that do it different, that truly send a pulse through their industry. And Ryan is one of those guys. He has 11 full-length studio albums. He's ranked in the top 20 earning DJs and producers of all time. He was the first to create uh, electronic dance music residency in Las Vegas, has been playing there for over 10 years under that residency. Um, Nine official world tours, countless festivals, seven-time Grammy nominee, seven-time nominee for DJ of the Year. He's won it twice. He's got second three times. He's just highly, highly accomplished, but you would never know it if you talk to him. He's one of those guys that feels like he's just kind of been authentic to himself and produced good art and try to live under a certain set of values, and that's attracted attracted all the success and relationships and things that he's had in his life. We've been able to dig a little bit deeper and find that there are true principles behind the success that he's had. He talks about work ethic. He talks about being an influence in his industry. And he talks about how to be present and balance his incredibly dynamic, exciting, and uh, really fulfilling life. He's a father. He's a dad. uh, He's a husband amidst all these other things. And so it was a great conversation. And there's a lot of correlations between what we do as salespeople as we're we're striving to hit goals and push it to next levels. How do we architect life and make it fit? So... Super stoked for Ryan to be on the show with us today and really excited for you guys to sit down and enjoy this conversation. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Ryan Radden, a.k.a. Cascade. The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. Thanks for venturing down south to hang with us today. Yeah, any excuse to get down here, come on. Any excuse. So um, we mainly know each other from surfing a couple times, a couple like mini epic adventures in wave pools. Yes. When did you start surfing? Uh, You're from Chicago. Yes, I am. Yeah. No surfing there. Although now there's these guys that they have like a, what is it? Midwest surf team or something. All these crazy guys read the storm surges you get like wow. wind swells on the lakes and stuff. have swells. you seen this yeah. i've never done lake, any of lake it. michigan they're they're hardcore oh They'll yeah go out there with their beards like frozen Fro- with icicles okay. hanging off that's of your it. tribe that's you, your you crew. Read, that's my people that you read the same article <laughs> i did i think on surfline or wherever it was stab or one of these things those guys are crazy i never surfed as a kid when i moved out here actually when I, i've been in california for I don't know, 25 years so uh when I moved out here, when I moved out here, when I say out here, I was in San Francisco for 10 years and I came down here to San Clemente for a few years, but my wife bought me a surfboard for my birthday. I'm like, are you sending me a message? What are you saying here? 
Uh, so surfboard as a bit. gift is one of those things where it seems like such a novel idea, but until you realize the journey yeah. that you're sending that person, you're either going to hate it because you can't do it or you're going to go on a journey. Right. Right. So uh, it was cool. I surfed a little bit while I was down here, but I was working. This was kind of like as my career was exploding. So, so I did a little bit down here, but then really my surfing story starts when COVID hit. I was like, okay, I got lots of time now. I'm not doing anything. I'm just writing music and hanging out. And I was like, I'm going to surf as much as I possibly can because I at least have a year of this. Yeah. You know? So that's when I kind of just hit it. Did you think, did you think it was going to be a year? I was on that whole, this is going to be two weeks train. Like admittedly, I thought like, it's easy to say now that like, no way was it ever going to be two weeks, but I was like, oh yeah, two weeks and we're back to it. I mean, I'm sure you guys were doing the same thing. It's like every week we'd have a phone call like, Hey man, how, you know, we're all like trying to project the yeah. future. And I'm like, we're just bored. We have no idea what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go surf. This meeting is worthless. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, I mean, three or four months in, we were doing a lot of cool things. And I did some fun stuff during the lockdown. I did a lot of broadcasts and, you know, cool things from, I did a show from uh, uh, the Sky Bridge over in uh, Arizona, over the Grand Canyon, which oh. was super cool. Um, like, so a, like, a, like a webcast thing? Yeah, we had something like 100,000 people watching. It was awesome. Wow. Coca-Cola sponsored. It was a whole deal. Everybody's just moving in their Everybody's own space. Everybody's just hanging out <laughs> in their own space. And, you know, got a lot of cool messages like, oh, this was, I needed this so bad, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, so surfing, I'm, I'm that guy because I feel, I feel bad on Surfliner and stabbing at these guys. Oh, these Cobra guys clogging up the feet. All these <laughs> they dudes. start surfing when All they the get a little time. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just like, Okay, how can I just surf all the time? How, yeah. how can I do that? <laughs> well, pools do it, man. Like, I, I think a lot of people know you from sitting, like, from standing in front of, like, hundreds of thousands of people. But I know you from, like, getting slotted right in that wave at the surf ranch. I see you out there just in that perfect little man-made He's barrel. being very kind here. No, when no, we, I've seen the it. First, it's on his Insta. The, the yeah. first trip we went to in uh, Waco, Waco, that was a nightmare for me. I just could not, because I've been... I learned on a longboard and yeah. that trip to Waco was pretty early in on, I just kind of began surfing really. So, well, you were getting the hang of it and then your board snapped like first yes. yeah. couple hours of the day. And then after that, you were having to surf on a shortboard. On my first and arguably only my only ride, I did smash the board <laughs> and I'm like yeah. paddling back. Like that was amazing. And I look at the front of my board and it's just like, I'm like, where did that I guess I hit the bottom. I don't know. Dude, if you've never yeah. done it though, like I was trying to explain this to some of the other day, they were in my garage and like, why do you have so many surfboards? And I actually don't have that many. I'm not like a board guy, you know? Um, but I was trying to explain to him, like, I, you can't ride my surfboard. Like I can't wear your suit, you know, like right. it's, it's, right. it's made and sized specifically for you and it will do different things. Or, or like, why do you have so many golf clubs? You, you can't go golfing with a club. You know what I mean? Like you have to use different things for different, but that journey of like, I felt for you in that, in that Waco moment, because I've been there, dude, I haven't been surfing that long and very few people, Jason doesn't even understand it. Cause Jason surfed like growing up. Yeah. Right. So he doesn't remember what it's like. You to don't be the count one. Jason. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. on this one. No, you don't count. Cause you're the resident expert, but the, 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 the soul crushing journey of learning to surf man in late in life. It's so hard. It's the, I claim it's the hardest sport in the world and golfers will always tell me that's not true, but I'm like, 
your, your, your ground doesn't move depending on the weather and you don't have to deal with other golfers in your lineup and you don't have to, you know what I mean? Like, you know what that hole is going to look like. They might move the pin, but it's not like the ground is going to change immediately from a Monday at 11 to a Monday at one. You know what I mean? It's a tricky thing. I mean, I learned, I, I'm a pilot, I'm a helicopter pilot. It's kind of one of the other things I have been spending time doing later in life. And for me, that was like, okay, you learn these things and they're the same and you sit in here and you study the book. So it was, it felt like an easier thing to get into where surfing, you're out there and everything, all the factors are changing all the time. I'm like, damn it. What? I yeah. can't understand hey, this. Ah. You yeah. even got great whites, his spot where he, he surfs, he likes to go surf trails and he oh, had yeah. a couple, couple great white shark encounters. Oh, trails yeah. is like known for sharks. Oh, they're out there all the time. And that's the guys that I go with. Their favorite spot is trail one. Yeah. Because Darren hates crowds. And he's always the guy who's like, I'll pick you up. I'm like, all right, where are we going? Trail one. I'm like, all right. Yeah. So yeah. So we, are you still longboarding now or are you mostly off longboard? Um, you like mid-length now or what? I do a lot of mid-length, mid-length more yeah. now. But like this morning was so small. I'm like, I actually want to have fun. I'll just take the longboard. Take the longboard out. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, really my objective is, is to have fun, but I'm still have that goal of trying to continue to, you know, progress while I'm doing this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I always tell Jason that like surf marketing works so well on me because I have a little bit of disposable income and I really, I'm like a very goal driven person. I want to get better. Yep. So dude, if someone tells me that, Hey, this board, this is the, this is going to make you surf like Rob Machado. You're going to get more waves. It's kind of the one board. I'll just, I'm, I'm getting it. Dude, I'm, I'm a sucker. It. Yeah. I'm a sucker for all yeah. that stuff. I yeah. mean, anything they put on my timeline, I'm like, I'm buying it. I'm buying I mean, it. I've got two different bands at home that I can go down to my basement <laughs> and like practice paddle. <laughs> um, so how long have you been, how long have you been flying? Uh, let's see, five years, six years. I started a year or two before COVID. Yeah. Five, six years, something like that. Seven years. And was it out of like an interest for aviation or was it out of like solving a problem for your lifestyle and, and trying to be home and things like that? Uh, no, it was more like my Naomi, my wife is like an actual proper real pilot, like the real deal thing. Was um, she a pilot first? She was. We both kind of had interest in it because we're going to these festivals and you're taking helicopters here and oh, we have no time. We got to pay for a helicopter to go from the parking lot to the festival grounds or whatever. And every time we were in a helicopter, we're like, this is so sick. This is better. <laughs> I'm like, how cool is a helicopter? And she's like, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. I'm like, you should. And our kids were kind of getting a little older. So she had a little more time and she found an instructor right there in LA. And I was like, all right. I'm like, if you get your license, we're buying a helicopter. And then she started doing it more and more and kind of one of her dreams, I think initially was like, wouldn't it be cool? Like the family, we go on a camping trip and we just throw everything in the helicopter and land in this place where no person's ever been and we can sleep out overnight. Well, you know, she had all these like yeah. delusions of grandeur. Well, I mean, it's not delusional. We have done some really fun stuff. But um, then when she started taking the lessons, her instructor was like, your husband, if he's going to be flying with you and flying in the helicopter with you, you should have him come here and take at least a few lessons. Like, yeah. What if you have a heart attack? This guy's sitting next to you. He needs to be able to land, yeah. land the helicopter. Anyway, uh, that's when the hobby gets real. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, she knew what was going to happen. She's like, you're going to take like one or two lessons and be like, this is the most epic thing ever. And of course that's what happened. Mm. And I never really like had this goal. Like I want to be this helicopter guy. It was just kind of like, for me, it was like a total departure from everything that I do every single day. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm going to drive to the airport and learn something that I 
have an interest in that is not music related, not business related, not, I'm like, I just want to plug into something else. And it was an opportunity to just learn again, buy textbooks and learn in a, a, of a field that I don't know anything about. And it was cool. It was a great, I mean, I did, my journey was really long. It took me, I don't know, about a year to get my license, something like that. I would have expected longer though. That's a year with your schedule to become like proficient. Like you feel after a year, you feel comfortable, like hopping in the heli and going somewhere on your own. I would say after I got my license, it took me another six months to be like, okay, I'm just going to fly to Idaho this weekend and visit my mom. That it took some time. It was not like I got my license. I'm like, all right, I'm good. No, it took me a while to get comfortable. We should get our helicopter license, Jay Allen. I know I have to commute to San Diego every day. I know we have a friend that's got Dude. a copter. It's an hour commute. If I could just get a helicopter, <laughs> do you know you? Could, I went down this rabbit hole. You can buy a helicopter for sixty grand. Okay, I don't know if you want to fly in something that. Costs I found 60 it on thisiswhyimbroke.com, <laughs> and all the comments were like, "Yeah, that's an expensive coffin. Like you're for yeah. sure gonna die if you buy that thing." But you need like a. I need like a drone. You know, like something that'll just like you type in the coordinates. It'll just like pick me up. And like we're, we're almost there. Yeah. That's coming. It's, I, I've heard Elon talk about it and there's some noise concerns and there's some like airspace concerns, but I, I feel like they're overcomable. Oh, it's, it's I would happening. deal with the noise for the convenience. It's happening. Well, yeah. I don't think it's you that deals with the noise. I think it's all the people who live below your flight path. You know, yeah. there's one coming for like 90, I think it's 90,000 bucks, but it only goes for 20 minutes and you can't weigh over. I think it's like 200 pounds. And it's this tiny drone thing. And like, you don't even need a license. You, you just go charge, go charge. No you just kind of yeah. like leapfrog it's up happening. the coast. <laughs> I got to keep cutting weight. Yeah. You're almost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you weighed 50 pounds, you could make it to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, It'll tell you how much battery based on how much cargo you're bringing along. Right. Awesome. Um, is it true or not true that your wife was with the, was it the paradise fires that she was like flying Blackhawks yeah. and like yeah. helping put out fires and stuff? That's true. So that's what she does in the that's summer. That's pretty amazing. She started doing that three years ago. It is amazing. So she has racked up a bunch of hours, has, uh, you know, she's kind of on that, entering into that expert level. She's on a lot of mountain flying. So she went and was like, I need to put this to use because before it's just kind of like her taking trips and having fun. She's like, all right, I need to get a job in this field. So the firefighting opportunity came up flying Blackhawks is insane. So she flies second in command and she flies relief. So she goes out there, these fires, they do kind of 10 days off, 10 days on type of, you know, firefighter schedule. And so she's like uh, in the rotation. She's a, she does like the two and three day relief every once in a while. She'll leave for like a week and a but half. But they'll like call her up and say, Hey, you're, you're up or, or she just flies when she wants to. They, they call and they're like, Hey, can you do it? You That's know? amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's like the, the real deal. He's a real deal. That's gotta make you proud though. Right? Like it's a badass. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's pretty amazing. That's why I married her. You're like, Hey, I'll hold down the fort. Yep. You go handle that national emergency or that state emergency. Yeah. Pretty much. That's pretty cool, man. Well, maybe we should have Jason tell the story of showing up at the helicopter at the surf ranch as I was not there for this one. Oh, well, Ryan can tell it better than I can, but it was funny when we were at the surf ranch, I think the first time, right? Well, set the setting for, for the surf ranch too. I just went for the first time. So it's like the surf ranch is Kelly Slater's private, like he developed this facility to create like the world's best wave and to, to train He's 11 time world champion, best surfer that's ever lived. And he creates this private place where he can go and train. And it's, 
and he's got some money so it's like a boutique spot like and it's out in the middle of nowhere it's out in the middle of nowhere but it's it's you know they got airstream trailers that you stay in around the man-made lake you they've got a chef there for you there's hot tubs when you get out of i mean it's it's surf luxury right i mean it's yeah. out in the middle of the central valley but it's like this boutique luxury surf spot even the front gates open up like willy wonka in the chocolate factory. yeah fully, like, fully. <laughs> yeah they're like here's your instagram moment. and it's and it's what to rent the surf ranch during peak season, it's 80 grand a day, something like that. Yeah, 85. Yep. Um, yeah, so anyways, Ryan had the idea of, because the first time we went there, Ryan landed at the airport, which is what, like 30, 40 minutes away? The Fresno airport? No, it's... Uh, oh, Lemoore? Nah, I forget the name of it. I'd a little look it up. There's a tiny little airport that's, you know, it's probably about... 10, 15 minutes. It's not far, but it doesn't have fuel. So you got to fly to the next airport over and fuel up because I can't make it there and back to LA on one tank. I almost can. Oh, really? You know, I need like another 10, 15 gallons. But How long of a flight is that? Uh, it's hour and 45, hour and a half, something like that. So Ryan's chatting with the guy and is like, hey, you know, is it possible to land here? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Just go for it. You're talking to like some kid that like. <laughs> no, I think it was actually the GM. Yeah, the guy. It All was right. the guy who manages right. the thing. And I think he was not prepared for me to call his bluff. He's like, yeah, you know, when you do it next year, that's cool. Don't, you know. Yeah, don't even, just don't even do ask. Just do it. Kind better, of whatever else I'll call better, you sometime. He's like, better at it. No problem. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So, yes. so Ryan, next time we go to the surf ranch, decides to just. A year later, let me say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like next week where it was fresh on his mind. A year later. <laughs> Ryan's choppering in, mind you, the other group's still in the pool, like catching waves and everyone's like, oh my gosh. And Ryan has this jet black, <laughs> like helicopter and he's landing this thing, like in this field that's in the back corner. And the employees were like, just psyching, loving oh, dude, it. Dude, they were like, sick, yeah. <laughs> the best entrance of all time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and just dust and water and grass yeah, no, everywhere. No, no, because there's a lawn okay. right there. That's yeah. a green, freshly mowed lawn. All right. No dust. I put it down right on the lawn. I do like a little low reconnaissance, reconnaissance uh, you know, orbit around. And I'm like, that's the spot. <laughs> Write right it down. And the GM was not having it. He was like, <laughs> what are you doing? All the employees were stoked. And the GM's like, dude, you can't land your helicopter here. He didn't freak out too much. He's just like, yeah, you can't do that. And I'm like, what up, man? Last year you said I could. And he's like, well, you need to give me a heads up. You know, I don't He needs to be ready for next year. There's going to be three helicopters landing on that spot. And then it's going to get ridiculous up in Lemoore. Yeah. You know? Um, well, one of the things that, that um, I've been fascinated about with your um, career is um, amongst your, your friends, which you've known Jason for how long? Since you were like a little guy. Uh, since like 2010 ish, I yep. think when you guys first moved to San Clemente. Yeah. Yep. And I've known of your career just from being in like the same circles. I went to BYU, you went to BYU. Um, but one thing that I've been impressed by that, that I'd like to hear you speak to is you're recognized as a really positive force in, in your industry. All right. You are. And I, you know, even in like reading different articles and seeing like what's written about you and I think it's pretty intentional, but everything from lifestyle choices to, the the like production level of your music to the lyrics to the sound of it it's 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 pretty different um one of the uh, i can't remember where i i pulled this the other day but this is a quote from something that was written about you in 17. 
It says Radden also devotes his time and energy into cleaning up the dance music scene. He's always been vocal about the use of drugs at shows. And so I, I'm, I'm interesting. I'm interested in this idea of the world that you're in is, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people that come to these festivals and they're there to have a good time and they go into the night and it's dance music and it's kind of another world. And there's all sorts of different ways that people enjoy themselves, but you seem to have a different take on that. So maybe talk to me about your philosophy there, how you try to show up, if it's intentional or not. But I think it's, I think it's cool that you're recognized as that. Thank you. Uh, intentional. I, well, let me, that's a very big question. So where can we start here? Uh, I think, look, first and foremost, art is a reflection of the person who's making it right. So even if I wanted to make something completely different, that wouldn't come off very authentic. And I don't think it would have worked. Mm. I think part of the reason my career has worked is because it's like, hey, this is who I am. I'm unapologetic, unapologetic about it. And I'm just like, hey, here it is. What's up? This is the music I make. Um, not like I'm putting it out there in people's faces. You know, some people know who I am and what I'm about. Others don't. Um, anyway, so start there because it's like, all right, that's just a reflection of who I am. Right. That I write songs about my life. <laughs> cool. It can be a little rosy at times. And I write songs when I'm sad in my life as well. And so, listen, all that's just a reflection. So eventually that story kind of came out. I can remember early on in my career. Uh, <laughs> it was I got like a big feature in a San Francisco magazine and they titled it The Family Man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. I didn't, you know, I'm like, this article's not gonna make or break my career or whatever. It was a good exposure, but yeah. my manager at the time was just like, really, Family Man? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I didn't, I don't know. I just did the interview. This yeah. is what, what came out. I don't yeah. know what they extracted out of our conversation. Um, so that's kind of my general takeaway. How do I, navigate that and how do I make things okay in my world and all that's a much deeper conversation which I'm glad to have I think that's what you're asking like how do I how do I kind of navigate this world where total indulgence and drugs and sex and rock and roll I mean how do I work in that environment is that your well I don't know because I I, I like that you're doing it differently than other people in your world and I'm sure there's other people that do it that way but you stand out like you stand out as somebody that's like well I'm going to do it this way and I think I think the point of saying you know I try to be really authentic that's something that Jason's always shared with me he's like he's just the most like authentic dude and I think people are drawn to that and that's probably why people care Right. Cause sure. If, because it's, it's rare to see something or to, to consume something that's like probably so authentic because of all that goes into that. But yeah, I'm interested in, in, in your take on, um, you know, how you produce music and then how you navigate this world. Yeah. Navigating the world. Uh, I, I do want to speak on that. Cause to me it's, listen, I think people think about DJs and they think probably more like a standard guy, like a Diplo, right? He's like this, party guy he makes great music but you know sex drugs rock and roll he kind of embodies that like he is a rock star right um but djs i think for a lot of time we're kind of like the life of the party this guy's playing some great tracks and the party's going off over the last kind of 20 years there's been a huge shift it's been slow um me and a handful of other people have kind of been at the you know, leading edge of that. And that's partly why I've had success as well. I think there's a, many factors. That's one of them. Um, where it's less about me being a DJ, quote unquote DJ. And it's more about 
artistry. I mean, I kind of relate it to when I was a young kid, Depeche Mode was like one of my bands, The Cure, The Smiths, like, and I went to all these shows. I was into music. You like the sad 80s stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all that emo, Hold indie, on, Can you open that door? Stuff. It's super hot in here. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's no different than that. I mean, I have more than 10 albums out there that I've written and produced. Yeah. And I think now, and this holds true for a lot of guys, I'm not, this isn't totally unique to me. And I think this is what makes the electronic music scene so interesting because we can kind of like mold and shape our art to yeah. what it needs to be for the night. But generally speaking, my shows are more closely related to a concert. Like I went and saw The Cure at Rosemont Horizon when I was a kid, with junior in high school, and I was like, this is insane. And I wasn't waiting for The Cure to play some cover of... Interesting. You know, a Jimmy Buffett song. I was waiting for them to play their hits. <laughs> but if they I had, did, that would have been insane. It would have been cool. That would have been and, the weirdest thing And people thing do ever. do this. Yeah, yeah. And like, this happens. Yeah. And it, you know, happens now. Um, and it's a cool take on it. And that's kind of, I think they're borrowing from the DJ culture. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, most of my shows, it's like, I'm typically playing like 80, 90% of my music. At my concerts, what I played so far, it was all my music. Because people are there to see me see what this guy's about they've bought my albums they're singing along they got tattoos of my face and my lyrics on their arms and bodies and butt cheeks and like all sorts of stuff is that the craziest thing no it's completely my mind's blown every time i'm just like what yeah. wow i mean i don't like i'm a fan of lyrics, some people but to put it more. on my body yeah i'm like oh that's next level man. lyrics <laughs> i understand more because you could say something that hits them at the right time but, sure but the face. the face is a different, you know, but music has that ability, right? Like, I mean, it is, it is a different kind of experience. Like when I hear, um, over the weekend, I went and saw one of my like favorite, like childhood, like punk rock bands. I had a friend, like one of my lifetime friends with me and it, you know, you hear it and it takes you to a different place, right? Totally. It takes you to that That's spot. It. Yep. And so it's magical. It's nostalgic. It's an experience. So I understand that, but I don't know that I'd get their face. On, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just everybody's different, right? Yeah, yeah I'm not that guy either. <laughs> but, but I mean, I've traveled far distances to see bands play that, you know, oh, this is their last stop on the tour yeah. and they're not touring again or whatever. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm out there, you know, doing stuff. But I think, listen, the, my point is of all that, electronic music has become much more driven around the art and less about the frat guy just like playing some hits that's cool. that still exists in our world mm -hmm. certainly yeah. like cool that's always going to be happening yeah. but the guys that are successful right now are guys that are writing and producing music that resonates with people and then they show up to his show and they want to hear him play that song or things that inspired him to play that song and it'll you know the apex of the show is that song that yeah. everybody's loving yeah well i like the uh i like the distinction because there's levels right like when you, I bet, and you probably have tons of stories of this, but people hearing like in the early days, oh, you're a DJ, like you like put on a CD and you like are a DJ. Then it goes into like, no, I'm actually like, you're, you're not, you're curating an experience is really what you're doing, right? It's, it's almost like going to any show where it's like, no, there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's intros and there's apexes and there's scenes and all these kinds of things. But in writing and producing, that's probably a whole other level, you know? It's a, it's a totally different thing. And I, Really, when I got into it, that was kind of like at the intersection of where my interest lied. Like, I wanted to make music and remix music. And uh, 
yeah, DJing is just a way to do it. I mean, I've done shows where it's a full live band playing my music and I easily oh, really? could have done that. Like, oh, okay, cool. Let's just do an, a band version of the song. Um, but for me, I grew up skateboarding, snowboarding. These are individual sports. I, I played soccer and I did other stuff too, but like, I like the fact that it's just me. I don't have to worry. Like the bass player's not throwing attitude. The lean singer didn't just break up with his girlfriend. Like yeah. I just go on the road. I take my music. I play the shows. Cool. Like I don't have to rely on anybody. So that whole art form. And when I grew up, the art form of DJing was kind of just having this moment uh, with a very particular sound in Chicago as a kid. And I got drawn into that. And that's what kind of inspired me. Like, man, I love this music. I love what these guys are doing. All this technology is cool. Like, how do I get in here? <laughs> you know, what, what do I do? Yeah, I was trying to think of like my earliest experience with electronic music when it became popular. So I grew up in the, in the Northwest. Um, and as I understand, people probably can like confuse your name with Northwest Mountain Range, like Cascades. I used to, I was spent a lot of time in the oh, Cascades. Yeah. All right. Um, I like that. But the, uh, you know, I remember hearing stuff like, First stuff I would hear on the radio would be like Fat Boy Slim. Yeah. And I remember then like oh, yeah. the Candy Kids, it was like that was a thing with like the Binkies and the the Venga Boys and the that, that stuff. But it's not that. But it was that is that the intro or did I come in a little bit late? Uh the intro is post disco, really, in Chicago in the early eighties. Disco kind of bottomed out. And there were still people that want to go to nightclubs and dance and the technology got more accessible where these DJ slash producers who had ideas could kind of work with samples and make records mm -hmm. and make their own edits of songs. And so it became kind of a sound associated with the, the Chicago um, and all the guys in Chicago, there were a couple dozen of them making really forward progressive thinking records. And you're hearing clubs and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. So I was going to clubs. I was going to juice bars was a thing back in the eighties in Chicago. I don't know, not as much liability back then, but mm -hmm. yeah, as a kid, I was taking a train into the city and going and seeing these guys that were the pioneers of the scene that now generates billions of dollars. So it's almost like hip hop in New York in the early days. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very, very similar. And they, some of these guys were kind of going back and forth in between those two scenes. Todd Terry was kind of like messing around with hip hop. He's an early guy. Um, anyway, but what happened is, is it didn't, the sound didn't really hit here in the US, it hit in Europe. So then they kind of took that sound, homogenized it, sorry to my European friends who that they might find that offensive. That's how I see the history kind of made it more uh, palatable for the mass audience to listen to. And it, that's kind of when this rave scene broke and then it kind of came back to America. So in the eighties, it was more like kind of just club culture, warehouse culture, just, yeah. I don't know, fringe culture. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like, gay, black, Latino uh, kids that kind of supported this music and this scene. And it kind of grew from there. And then it became the rave scene. And uh, then it just, I mean, we're talking, you know, 30 something years ago. And now it's just kind of matured and become yeah. its own thing. I remember um, my friends that were into like rave stuff. It, we had pagers back then. Did you have a pager? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I remember that you would like sign up to like go to this rave and you wouldn't know where it was or whatever. And you would get like a page or something and it would oh, like yeah. give you the location. And then all these people would like converge on this spot and like come out a day or so later. And I just like, I, I totally don't understand it. But the crazy thing is now, like when I listen to your music and again, I'm not like a, obviously like an expert on this, this scene, but there's real depth to it. it sounds different to me at least it doesn't sound like 
like pump up, get the party started, music, whatever. It feels like, you know, it feels like it feels very intentional from the lyrics to the sounds and everything like that. Like, and I don't know if that's something that people tell you, but it stands out as different to me. There's not a whole lot of people where I listen and I'm like, oh, this is different than like, oh, here's the pickup and it's coming towards the drop. And you know what I mean? It feels like it's it's actually about something, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, so I was in San Francisco um, and I could see that this scene was kind of having a second wind because it like had a moment in the early 90s and then it kind of dropped mm -hmm. off again. And then in the early 2000s in San Francisco, at least I was living there and I was still kind of doing this and super involved. And Did you have kids and stuff and married then? I was married and we had one kid. Okay. And, um, you know, I was working at a record label. Uh, I was an A&R assistant and running the studio. I was kind of like the in-house engineer and doing art design. I mean, I was doing like a million things. So DJing is a, a hobby at that point. Yeah. I it's mean, not, I, it's not your sole source of income. No, that, I mean, I was basically living off of what Naomi was making. She worked at Levi Strauss, their headquarters, their global headquarters there in San Francisco. She was working okay. on production. Um, but for the five years before that, it actually was our sole source of income. We were living in Salt Lake and I had a club that I just worked out a deal with and I was playing all these cool records and people would come down and I took a door split and I was kind oh, of cool. making money that way. Got it. And then we ended up in San Francisco. She went there for a job. I was like, all right, let's go. Um, and I was like, I'm going to just keep doing this and see where it goes. Like, I didn't know. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest with very, like, even keel parents. So I was like, I mean, art, I can't make money making art. Mm -hmm. I can't actually work, right? Yeah. I mean, and I had a college degree, and I was like, I don't know. Let me just see what happens. So I just kind of kept at it. Um, but when I got to San Francisco, to get back to the original question, I could see, like, at that moment, there were a couple, like, electronic bands sneaker pimps oh yeah uh portishead that were making like edm style music but it was kind of from this artistic place and i was like that's cool not many people are doing it and really that was the like light bulb moment i'm like okay making tracks and me here on a sampler like in a drum machine that's cool great i love that but that's only for a few people. Yeah. I'm like, what if I like start songwriting and start trying to produce it to be more of a live ish thing. And that was kind of my lane. Like, let me focus on songwriting. And then I did a couple of sessions with some guys that are like, dude, your sounds are awesome, but songwriting's where it's at. Finn Bjarnson, a good friend of mine written dozens, if not hundreds of songs with him. Um, he mentored me as a songwriter and was like, Hey, this is the way dude, like sound styles will come and go. Like it doesn't like cool. Some indie rock is cool. Then mm -hmm. like acoustic is cool. Then punk rock is, you know, he's like, but a song stays forever. And I was like, man, this guy's right. And it just coincided with everything that I was already thinking. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go all in on this kind of idea where it's a more mature sound. And that matched with what was happening in San Francisco. Deep house was having a moment. And I was like, cool, I can just slide right in here. So, so when you, when you write, um, talk to me about like, how, how does that, like, what are the details of that? Are you, do you play instruments? Do you, um, you know, are you like playing the keyboard and then like putting that in there? Are you singing? Are you writing the words? I know you collaborate a lot with other artists, but maybe talk to me about your songwriting process. The so process. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I didn't, I'm not, listen, I grew up taking drum lessons. I was in choir for, you know, 
forever from middle school into high school mm-hmm. and it was a very serious choir group the chamber singers oh the we chamber big, singers tell me about oh that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so i feel like you just went to another spot with the chat <laughs> levels right so but i didn't grow up like you know i took a handful of piano lessons and i'm like this sucks this is so yeah. boring and like i gotta just sit here and practice i don't i'm like what does it do if i press these keys you know i was just yeah. i was interested in music but that didn't interest me that part of it. Right. So no, I'm not very proficient at any musical instrument. Um, But to me, sound design, like I got drum machines and samplers and I was like, okay, now this is my thing. You layer those, you make those, you, you, you create those individual tracks. Yes. So then I, then I sat down with a bunch of musicians and that's when I was in San Francisco and I'm going to Utah because I knew all these guys that were working in studios and I'd spent time in studios and I was always around. I'm like, hey, let's have this guy play live bass instead of a synth bass. And I was like directing the process and writing oh, cool. the track. Then to come up with, to, so that's kind of how that- It's the production side. It's a, it's a production yeah. thing. But I mean, listen, with computers today, dude, I mean, we're like, you know, chat GPT for writing is already happening in the music world. I can sit down and be like, I want a cascade song, but I want to make it sound like Taylor Swift singing. I mean, dude, we're moments away from this. Just you just being able to tailor something. There's software out there right now that when I listen to it, I'm like, this is insane. I don't know where this is headed. Like production software that can like actually make the music. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, we're moments away from where you just walk in your room and you're like, cool. I want something chill. That sounds like this. And the thing's just going to spit out music. That's never been made for more. No way. We're moments away from that. Less than a year. Does that sure. freak you out or does it, no, does it, does I'm it not, have soul? Like, does it, you know what I mean? No, it sounds really good. I think, I mean, it's different and I'm always going to fight for, you know, you need that human element in there, but I think we're at the beginning of something that's, it's all changing. So anyway, to the songwriting process, that can happen a number of different ways. I, in dance music, I would say 95% of it's instrumental especially when I got started, it was all just drum machine based synth bases, all just like sounds. And that was cool about DJing. Like really you were just like in a chemistry set, just like putting all these sounds together and making something go out. Right. That was the idea of it initially. Cause it was so minimal. So you could just combine like four records at one time if you wanted to and make something new. And that's all producing is really kind of on a small granular level. Um, so I just would like to pick a song that's an instrumental song. I'm like, oh my gosh, I like this, this, the, I like this song, whatever key this song is in, this is cool. And the chords are cool. I'm going to just write something on top of it. Yeah. And I just put a mic like this and I start coming up with ideas and I just like start humming out different melodies, put it in the computer, cut it, chop it up. And I'm like, all right, cool. I need to come up with some lyrics for this. And the more you do it, it's just like anything. It's like a muscle. You exercise it and put it together and it's like, you get better and better at it. Um, and then I was working with people. Hey, you're good at songwriting. Come in. What do you think about this idea? Eyes are the windows to the soul. Like what, you know, what do you think? Yeah. That's like cool. I hear people say that you think that'll resonate. I'm talking about this idea. You know, this girl broke up with me when I was a freshman in college, blah, blah, blah. And you know, and that's kind of how it works. And then it's like, just take the track away that is there and then build something around that vocal, you know, take the, dummy track that I used as inspiration and completely start from scratch. And that's how remixing kind of works. It's all kind of the same. You just take a vocal and reproduce the track. So there's a lot of ways to do it, but the computer, I think all of this kind of started happening and became more accessible because stuff became 
easy enough to buy, accessible to people that have ideas. Martin Garrix is a global phenomenon. He made his first record in his house on his parents' computers, probably sitting in the kitchen. I don't know the story. Yeah. And I met him when he was 17 at Tomorrowland and his mom and dad were there with him. And I'm like, animals had just come out like days before. And I had got the promo of it. I'd got it in advance. So I'd been playing it and I was like, dude, your life's about to change. This record is really, really big. Hmm. Congratulations, first off. And two, like, remember who you are, man. Like, yeah, it's crazy. This is, it's all coming for you. Yeah. Like, buckle up. And he's just looking at me. I mean, I'm sure 90% of what I said was just like, yeah, right. you know, he, oh yeah, Cascade said, congratulations. And you're like, no, I <laughs> yeah. said more than that, right? <laughs> it's crazy the idea of him being there with his parents, right? Yeah, I mean, he's just, kid probably wasn't old enough to come in at the time. I don't know. Yeah. You know now he's like global phenomenon and sold millions and millions of records, you know? Billie Eilish was the same way, you know, her and her yeah. brother like made that first album, which is insane. Like in that little tiny, in Phineas's like bedroom in LA. Yep. Right. And this is what it is now. Yeah. And now that AI is getting in the mix, I think we're going to see a lot more of this because there's a lot of singer songwriters out there that aren't interested in production. I have people sending me songs all day long. I just open up my email. There's probably 20 of them right there. Hey, I wrote really? this song. I don't know how to produce it. Yeah. I mean, this is, I didn't write Disarm You. It was one of my biggest hits. Mm -hmm. I didn't write it. It was out there floating around. Somebody brought it to me. What do you think of this? I'm like, wow, this is a smash. And it's just like full demo mode. It's just mm -hmm. piano. Somebody said. So they just it. sing it to you? Like they record it on their phone? Yeah, and be some like, people hey, record it on the phone. Some people will like have a, a basic setup at their house, you know, where they can record and play the keys. And, um, you know, and then it's like, hey, I need somebody to produce this. You you're hot. Make it, make it work. Yeah. What, what, what inspired you to start arcade as a record label? Because I feel like from the outside looking in, one thing that's really cool about you is I feel like you're always trying to lift up others around you. So if I think of Richard who started out just helping out around your, your house, running yep. errands and yep. all that stuff. And all of a sudden he's got like, he's doing his thing, man. Yeah, but I feel like that's one of many stories that I've heard of where you find someone who's talented and maybe you help nurture that talent or give them a platform or... It's that, exactly. I mean, look, I've been insanely fortunate. I mean, and there's so much that goes into that. Um, but it's to me, it's like, how can I give back a little bit? Like, it doesn't... It doesn't take me much time or effort to give Richard a platform. Ravel is who we're talking about. He's yeah, a young yeah. kid coming up uh, here from LA. I met him on tour when he was, he dropped out of his freshman year of high school to come on tour with me. <laughs> and so he's like on the 14 or 15. I mean, this kid was a young kid and he's been at it and, you know, he's having kind of a go at it now and it's working out for him and he's making cool music, you know? Uh, so I was there in the beginning to kind of help him and, you know, he helped me and I think we all get a lot out of that. And there's a bunch, of, I've been around so many talented people and it's like any way I can shine a light on them. Cool. Doesn't, that doesn't hurt me at all. And, and it's something I enjoy doing. So cool. If it benefits them. Awesome. I feel like that's, you know, we, we talk about that a lot in our world cause we run these sales teams. Right. And it, there's a certain level of fulfillment when you do your your art or when we do our job or whatever, and it feels good to be recognized and to move up and to get like the accolades and the rewards that come with that. But after a while you have to put that into other people or else it stops being as fulfilling. You know what I mean? Sure. Just exactly like you said it. That's it. It's like, cool. I, I mean, listen, 
15 years ago, I exceeded any dream that I had in my head of doing music and entertaining people and yeah. making records and doing traveling. Like, dude, that's, I passed that benchmark 20 years ago. I don't even know. I'd have to like look back on my life and be like, when did I hit that spot? It was a long, long time ago. I mean, the rest of this has just been like a roller coaster ride. I'm just here like holding on, like enjoying it, like just having fun, as much fun as I can, kind of like, you know, maximizing moments and, you know, enjoying it. With what? the Sorry, Jace, with the life you've had and the life you live now, does it strike you? Like, do you think back and be like, man, my goals were so small? Because you said you exceeded all your musical expectations. I understand. I feel the same way in a lot of ways, right? Like sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, man, I actually never thought that it would be like this. But you know, I, good question. And I don't know the answer to that. I, I, yes, the, my goals were small. I was like, if I can pay my rent and like put food on the table, cool. Yeah, That's right? a success to me. Yeah. Like what, I mean, what do I want in this life? What do I need in this life? What's really important? So like for I'd me, really it was like more just realistic. At the surf ranch. No, <laughs> that'd be the pinnacle. So, I mean, it's all just like icing now. I'm just yeah. <laughs> enjoying it. What were you going to say, Jace? Oh, I forgot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, jump in there, man. No, Come no, on, dude. No, no, no. This guy's been following me. He's, you've been to a lot of shows. Jason's been to a lot well, of shows. Well, there was a time where you yeah. were going to, you asked Jason to come on tour with you for a while, right? I did. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> the best is I'm walking out of church and Jason pulls around in like a car full of people. I, were you driving her in the passenger seat? I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Are you Cascade? And I'm like, yes, I am. I am. I'm like in the full shirt, shirt and tie, like, like not dragging not kids out of mode. church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Like whipping my kids. Yeah, around. at home you're like, not Cascade. You're Ryan and can, <laughs> yeah, can take you out the up? garbage. Yeah. You know, Phil, get the dishes done. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, well, I'm coming to your show. Whatever. I'm like, dude. Don't buy a ticket, whatever. You're, you're my boy. You live here. You live down the street. Yeah, just hit me up. Here's my number. Whatever. I forget yeah. how the interaction happened. It was something like that. And ever since then, I remember looking out there in Vegas and being like, hey, wait a minute. That's Jason jumping around in like the fifth row. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And he's like, with 10 dudes. And they're really rowdy. That's a good time. <laughs> it's working. So you can see when you're up there and everything's coming at you, you can see individuals. A little bit. Yeah. The festivals, it's hard. Yeah. It's just kind of like a sea. Just a wave. But it, at clubs where it's more manageable, even these like big, massive mega clubs. I think clubs are kind of cool because you can get much closer to the act, right? So I can kind of see in that. I don't usually <laughs> connect. I don't because it's so intimidating. And like, I do get a little like, oh, you know, what's going on here? I just rather focus on like, cool, the equipment that's in front of me. And then I'm usually like over their heads because some people yeah. in the front are like, I love you. I want to have your baby. And they're saying like stuff that you're like, okay, um, you're, <laughs> you're freaking me out, man. <laughs> really? Like, oh, yeah. Dude, it gets intense sometimes. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm just going to look back there and like row 20 and I can, you know, and there's usually a few people that catch my eye that I'm like, oh, they're having a good time. I'm doing the right thing. Kind of, you know, you ever have, them. I mean, again, the people that come from all over the world and the, the scene and what's going on in their head and what substances are in their body. Do you ever have anybody that's like any weird, like kind of scary situations like that, where someone like expects something from you and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know what you thought this was. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, <sighs> Yes, kind of. I mean, I don't know. I got millions of stories, but... Uh, I mean, you get stalkers, you get people showing up places, yes. you see the same people around the world, and you're like, yeah. well, this is like a safety thing. Yep. You get That's that. Where, yep. 100%. Sure. Wild. Yeah. You have bodyguards and things like that when you're at no, those No, but things, we, I travel. I don't travel with security, but each venue is very aware. In South America, it's much more real, you know? 
I go to some of these places and I'm like, okay, we have a team of 10 security guards. Like, dude, in the Philippines, it's like, we're a full cop. Yeah. Like, you would think it's like Elvis coming to play the show. I'm like, what is oh, going yeah. on? We have a full escort going here with 10 cop cars. Same thing in South America. Um, but I always think, I mean, on a more like real kind of usual thing that happens or somewhat it happens fairly often as somebody's like sign my arm and I'm like signing and they're like, I'm going to go get this tattooed now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad you said that halfway through. Cause there's a lot, you know, like I would have made the K better. Yeah. Like I would have, yeah. you know, like dude, I've scribbled in a pen on a girl's arm, probably about the whole length of my forearm. And she showed up that night wrapped, you know, in the, yeah. you know, when they wrap it. And I was just like, Oh, I should have used a different pen. You're like a million yeah, artists in the world and that's what you pen. have. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's oh, wild. Man. Yeah, I uh, saw a thing the other day just on, uh, it made me think of it, but I have I have friends in much smaller like bands or musical acts that have had legitimate things like that where it's like they have these people that come around in their lives and they know them by name and they're, you know, full stalkers and they have to say like, hey, you know, there's restraint and you can't be here. And that's in smaller groups than, you know, they don't have near the impact that you do. Do you ever feel worried for your safety or that of your family or anything like that? Or does it never, is it mostly just you have to be careful when you're at shows to make sure that. I mean, I live in LA and my house is very secure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I should say that first. And Adam Sandler's my next door neighbor and he's got 24 hour security literally sitting out Friday's house. And that's like 10 feet from my house. So I See feel a little like bit I, of Sandler spillover. I, I was at, I was at Ryan's house. I don't remember where you were, or Naomi, but it was just me hanging out. I think we were installing your alarm system. Oh, okay. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and two cops show up and they're like, hey, um, the alarm went off next door and we can't get in through the front gate. Is there any way we can maybe like get help? Or like, first they asked me, they're like, do you know who the next door neighbor is? You're like, is, is Sandler okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, it's, it's Adam Sandler. And then they're like, hey, can you help us get in? So I had to help the cops hop your backyard fence. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Hey, that's your, that's yeah, your yeah. crack security squad right there, getting boosted by Jay Allen into the window. <laughs> yeah. So I don't ever really worry too much about that. But yeah. I, and I should say, look, I have fans. There's, the, there's like a club of people that have seen a hundred shows or more that is actually pretty sizable. I'm like, these people have been to a hundred shows. And I feel like generally speaking, most of them are just like diehard fans yeah. and they live like in the Western United States where I tour most. And so they have access to that, but th that's different than sure. There are some people that show up and I'm like, Hey, so-and-so. Cause yeah, I know them. Cause they come. I was going to ask like those people, your, your, your hundred fan or your hundred show fans. Yeah. You recognize you know, them. You know, oh, them. Dude, they're waiting at the exit. I know some of these people, I know their wives' names and stuff like, yo, what's your wife doing tonight, dude? Why, why did you Just from coming you know? to shows, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and most of the time I feel like it's okay. Yeah, Only yeah. every once in a while I'm like, okay, I'm creeped out right now. I was at a show once and the band said, um, you know, they'd been gone for a while and they came back and like, we recognize a lot of you. And I remember like thinking, is that true? Like massive band playing across the country. And I'm like, is that true? Do they really, do they always say that or... Do you really recognize people from being in the same spot at all your shows? It's an interesting. I, I recognize some people yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's I play in front of large audiences, and it is dark and strobe lights and stuff. So I don't know that I'd get on the mic and say that, but yeah, I recognize sure. Some people. Sure. So one thing I think's really cool about you is I feel like I've been to a lot of your shows. I've even traveled with you, and and I've just kind of observed how. I don't know, I could see from the outside looking in where if you're DJing for 
you know, a few decades, you're on the road where it could just become monotonous and you could kind of become jaded by things. Yes. And it's been cool where I'll see you like, let's just say we're going to Vegas and you're like, hey, let's go to Tacos El Gordo. Or, you know, you're in San Francisco and you're like, oh, dude, we got to go hit this spot. Is there a lot of, is that just how you naturally are? Or do you think it's like, are you intentional about it? Naturally, like what, this positive guy that wants to go out there and observe things and be a part well, of it? Well, I, I just... feel like at the time I was doing a lot of business travel. Right. It was really easy for me to just hang out in a hotel room. I'm exhausted. I sure. knocked out my meeting. And it's funny because like, even when I was doing business travel, I feel like I'd try to take a page out of your book yep. where I'm like, no, I'm in Chicago. I'm going to go get deep dish pizza and like actually enjoy being is. in Chicago. There it is. So I learned that I wasn't always like that. And certainly there's been different waves. I'm definitely more like that now than I ever have been. Cause I always feel like, and I've felt this since the beginning, I feel like every gig is a gift. I'm like, I still can't believe people are calling me up and like booking me and that they're paying me to do this. I mean, literally I started at the beginning of my career, like working for cheeseburgers. Like I would, I love what I do. So it's very exciting that somebody will pay me to be there. And I'm like, you know what? I might never come back to London or to like, uh, next month I'm going to Shanghai. I've been to Shanghai. I don't know, six, seven, eight, ten times. I don't know. But it's like, maybe that's my last time in Shanghai. Maybe they don't ask me to come back. Who knows? Yeah. So I'm always like, live in the moment, enjoy this. Like there might not be another time <laughs> who knows. So now I was just like, okay, cool. And cause I've slowed down a little bit, I, uh, well, a little bit, I probably at the peak, I was playing closer to 200 shows a year, which is like just Jeez. chaotic, like insanity. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. Um, and there's only a handful of guys that are going that. Aoki beats me for sure. He's just like, yo, I'm single. I'm just going to like play every single night. I'm like, okay, dude, be careful with that. Like, I love you, man. Like, don't like don't disintegrate. Yeah, like, nothing. We had uh, we had one of his friends on the show, Dan Fleischman, and he said that Aoki teleports. He's like, that's the only example. That's the only explanation I have is dude. like, he just teleports. He's on an airplane every night and he's gigging, you know, every evening. It's pretty crazy. Um, and I felt like at one point I was doing that. And then COVID was one of those things that really shook me up. I was like, okay, I need to make some changes in my life. Like I haven't the last, there were probably about 10 or 12 years where I felt like I was kind of drowning. I'm like, I'm yeah. suffocating. I'm like, <gasps> yeah, but it's a hard thing when you're doing what you love. And I feel like so grateful for all these opportunities to say no to anything. Somebody wants to fly you to Dubai and pay you trash bags full of money. No, I don't want to do that. I got yeah, my daughter's got a soccer game and like, I'm really worn out. Like, yeah. no, I'm like, yeah, dude, sign me up. Yeah. How so do you, how do you manage your time? Cause one thing that I've also seen is that, you know, for example, with church, like you're a seminary teacher. So for those people listening, you're a seminary teacher currently. I am. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this is my fifth year. So what's wow. crazy is, even dating back to like 2012, he, Ryan would play a show in Vegas, would probably close up around what, like four or five yep. in the morning, Yep. hop on a plane, go back, go to church with his family, hang out with them. So no sleep. You just stay up. Stay up. Yeah. Grind and then, it. and then Monday morning, now he's teaching seminary at what, 6 a.m.? Well, let's tell our friends here what seminary is for our, for our non-seminary attendees. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually a, I just got the gig. I'm a, I'm a perma sub 
for oh, seminary. So this is good. That's a good gig. Yeah, I pop in like once a week. Yeah, I haven't yeah. gone yet, but that's I'm actually sweet. going tomorrow. Yeah, that's so seminary is for uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. They literally go to an hour of pretty much like Bible study before school. It's like it's they go and they scripture like, study before scripture school. study before school, and they need teachers that are not paid to prepare these lessons and teach them every day. I didn't know you were a seminary teacher. That's hey, that's a lot. I'll, I will say this, I'm an astronaut. I team teach, so I'm usually two to three days a week Still. is typically what I do. Yeah, it's At a, what time? It's a commitment. It's it's a good, so you're like, how do you control? We do now, listen, before COVID, it was six to 6.45. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. You're waking up at 5.30. Yeah. Like, that's no joke. You're waking up at 5.30 and hurrying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing is most of my life is like I'm going to bed at 5.30, so yeah. I was fully on this like weird swing shift, but... Luckily, I don't know, I have a body that works well with that and I adapt easily. So I'm very fortunate that way. Um, but your question was about time. How do you manage these things? I'm always breaking things down into like incremental things. Seminary takes me, I spend probably 10 to 15 hours a week between preparation, teaching, doing the whole thing. Okay, cool. I need that block of time, depending on the week, you know, like that's my chunk. I gotta have that set aside. And then it's just prioritizing, right? Like how much can you, all right, what emails am I going to answer? Where am I going to go? What, you know, it's just prioritizing these things. So for me, when I play, I always, Vegas is a great example, but I've done that from Asia. I've played in Asia and because of the date change, you come back and I could land and I could make it to church. And I'm like, okay, this is what's important to me. I need to be at church once a week and fill my cup and be around people that believe and hear these things. Cause I'm in an environment all the time where it's like the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. So this is important to me. I'm going to make that a priority. So I did. And, um, anyway, it's like, cool. In Vegas, I play from one thirty, one o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And I would get on a six thirty AM flight. So I'm like, why even stop? I'll just play until, the car is ready to pick us up. Like why take an hour off and go eat breakfast? I'll just play all the way. Cause then I could potentially get tired. If you lay down for that 30 minutes, they call that like the kill zone. It's like, you don't want to lay down and you just like plow through it. Weird that if you lay down for 30 minutes at four in the morning, you might fall asleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kill zone. So I was like, we just go into that and like burn it through. And my staff, it's cool. Cause that's one of those things where I attracted people that had similar needs and wanted similar things. Oh, this guy's got a family too. He likes to be back for his weekend. You know, his weekend is Sunday and Monday or whatever he doesn't want. So that was neat. And um, I don't know, the rest of it is just prioritizing. Like what, there's yeah. only so many hours in the day and so many days in the week. And I don't know how you're gonna spend it. Yeah. What's important to you? What I think's cool, and I feel like with our job, we, we deal with this, where you kind of go through that phase, and I think everyone has to go through it, where you just have to grind. Yes. Like when I first started this job, like selling solar, I didn't know anything about it, and all I did was eat, drink, and sleep, learning how to sell solar. solar. Yep. And I even told my girlfriend, I told you know my friends, hey, I'm MIA for the next like six months. I got to figure this out. Yeah. Yep. And I'm so glad I went through that phase because eventually I got spit out where, and I'm still like playing around and, and toying with it, but trying to figure out how I can design the job around my life, my priorities yep. and not like still grow, grow the business and, and do well and hit my goals, but also not neglect the priorities in my life, which I feel like 
just again, I'm I'm sure it's not perfect, but from the outside looking in, just how you prioritize your your family, your life. I don't know. It's just inspiring and, and cool. I like, thank you. I like that. I I think. Listen, it, from the outside looking at it, it probably feels like I got it figured out. I don't have anything figured out. I was going to say, yeah. would Naomi see, see it the same way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It would be a very different like, conversation if she was here. Yeah. But I will say this. From my experience has been, you've never arrived, right? You've never gotten to that point where like, hey, cool, this is the, I've got 10% of my time here, 30% there, 40% here. You never get that. I think every day, every week, every year, you're tweaking what that is like, okay, my teens need more time. Okay. I got to be around more or they're smaller. They need less, you know, you're always constantly tweaking that recipe to make it work. And I think the trick is for me was just trying to be as sensitive to that as possible. And I don't think I always did nail that because at one point when everyone's coming up, you're like, I need enough money to eat and pay rent. So like you're just head down, just buried, like, yeah, you guys are going to a movie. I can't. Yeah, you're going out to eat. I can't. Yeah, you're doing this. I mean, dude, years of me missing birthdays, weddings, uh, every holiday. I mean, I've DJed Christmas Eve, Christmas night. <laughs> you know, like New Year. I've played every New Year's Eve in the last 30 years. Like, I wouldn't even know what to do <laughs> for New Year's Eve with my friends. Like, what are we going to do? Like, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's go that's, see that's Cascade. A really, that's a really interesting idea, though, because, you know, as you were talking, what I've what I've been thinking is Cascade is it's a business, right? It's for a, sure. It's a vehicle. Yeah. Right. So you have this art that you make and that art's valuable. So that's that's your vehicle. And then you have to architect life so that it works so that you don't die. Right. Yep. So it's like and I, I think the the benefit to any kind of entrepreneurial venture where you can kind of choose how you drive it is the people that do that best generally it looks effortless from the outside right but even as you say like because we're the same way we used to do these summer seasonal things and we'd miss every like all of my roommates in college didn't go to one of their weddings you know like yeah, yeah. brothers coming home from things didn't go you know missed funerals stuff like that but it just seems like in yours in your world like to me that sounds insane like oh you know home for christmas that's crazy but i'll bet if you were sitting here with five other world famous djs they'd be like well yeah who does Who's home for Yeah, who's home who, for those holidays? Who's home What's for that? New Year's? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's right. just kind of like normal in your world. But I do appreciate how you've been able to architect what works for you. And what you said was priorities. And I think the first thing is, it seems that you know what they are. A lot of people don't ever stop and think like, okay, 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 stop, stop for a minute. What's important and how much time should I give it? They right. just get wrapped up in this. Oh, I got asked to do this, so I'm going to do it. So I guess I'm not in control of my life anymore. You probably right. see that in your world a lot, right? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I see that uh, just because it's so much fun. It's easy to get wrapped up in it. Um, I think the biggest downside in my business is there's just so much addiction. Uh, people have a really hard time kind of managing. They get a little bit of fame and they get addicted to whatever, the attention. They get addicted to the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, whatever it is that they're getting addicted to because there's a lot of... The world out there has, there's an allure out there. And it's, I don't think anyone, well, I think, I would like to think most artists start out because they want to share their art, right? There's something here I want to make and share with the world. That's cool. That's fun. That's their intention. Um, some people probably get it for a different reason, but um, but then to have that be successful and just get turned around. I mean, Avicii, you know, I had 
problems negotiating that and figuring it out. And, you know, right when I thought, okay, cool, he's retiring, he's going to take some time away, he'll probably get squared and then come back. And then he wasn't able to come back. You know, I thought he had it shaken and he didn't. Um, there's a lot of that in my world. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of that out there, period. People just trying to find that balance. But I think in entertainment in particular, once you have a little bit of like success, it all opens up to you. Like that's when the moment is like, who are you really when you have access to everything? Yeah. Like who are you going to be? Who are you going to choose to be, man? Like, well, cool, cause I, I, we got I, it all laid out right here. You want it? You want this? You want that? Yeah. <laughs> I would think in, you know, it's one thing and I don't know anything about it, but just thinking about it, it's one thing to be like famous and have access to that stuff. It's quite another thing to be in like the nightlife entertainment industry and be known. Cause I mean, you show up to, and I've heard stories, but say you show up to places and it's, you know, the, 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 whoever is hosting, it's their job to see to it that the people there have a good time, including their artists. Right. And so for sure, it's not just like, Oh, we think you're cool or we like your music. It's, Hey, you're here. So it feels like it would be, I mean, it's Las Vegas, right? It's literally anything that you want. So how do you, if you can even answer this question, how do you stay who you are amidst all of that? Like you've seen a million people that have not been able to, to withstand it. Why do you think that you've been able to kind of maintain the separation between what you do on stage and then who you are and get back home? Uh, well, let me start out by saying my career has been an incredibly slow burn. Mm. I mean, I've been doing this all, since high school. Yeah. I'm 52 years old. People listen, it's like, what? Um, so yeah, since high school to the, to where I am now. Um, so it's been this slow burn. Yes. I had moments where, you know, yeah. big things happened and I boosted my career, but I think that, that helped me. That helps. Right. Listen, I, I, this goes back to another kind of like spiritual thing. I grew up around a lot of people that didn't believe what I believed. I'm in suburban Chicago. I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. Like, you know, I, so I think I was challenged early as a kid. Like, who are you? Who are you going to be? And that helped me later in life. When I got out in the world, I had already made these decisions like cool. I'm in Mexico city the first time and the club sold out and the promoters doing everything to make sure that I come back again. Cause he's making a mint off me. He's like, we got prostitutes and cocaine and this and that. And I'm like, you got the wrong guy, dude. I'm actually going to go to dinner and then I'm going to go prep for the show. And I, I appreciate your hospitality. And I understand and that's a, a spirit of goodwill. And I understand that you want to do business with me, but that's not who I am. You know, cool. I, I'd already made those decisions. It's yeah. not like I saw the process. I'm like, they're really attractive and I can, <laughs> but I shouldn't really yeah. <laughs> dumb things right now. And wow, that's the decision was already made. So it wasn't like I was having this moment where I'm wrestling with myself. It was like, cool dude, not me. Appreciate it. Thanks. I'll check you in a couple hours when I'm ready for the show. One, one thing I think is cool too is just how you even design like who surrounds you, like your team. Like I look at um, just, and maybe you could elaborate on that from everything from like your tour managers that you tend to work with. To this is a great, you're, you're bringing up a great point. Thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah. I think that just kind of naturally happened. It's not like I was looking for people to, like, oh, I need a squeaky clean Boy Scout that's going to take me around. I think these people just naturally were attracted to 
me, my brand, my music, what was happening. And they kind of just f- came in my world, you know? And then I was like, oh, this is the right person to tour with, or this is the right people that I should be working with. It just kind of evolved that way. Um, and I don't know, I, you know, they were put in my path and I used that to my benefit to, to make sure that, you know, I was around people that I kind of could align myself with. Yeah. You know, not that they're of the same faith. They're not. These people, we all believe different things, but these are all really good people that I get along with well and I can share my beliefs and what I want to do and what do I want to achieve and work dreams with them. And they respect that and they help make it happen. Yeah. And they're very respectful of what I think and believe and they're And they're very protective as well. They're very like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that like, yeah, I'm not aware of. And that's good. Because the first part of my career for the first 15 years when I toured, I was alone. I was like, I was out there just like raw dog and solo showing up these places. No managers or touring managers, all that stuff. There wasn't money back then to do that kind of thing. It was me. I can remember the first festival I showed up and there's like 30,000 people out and they're like, hey, where's your tour manager? We got to check the equipment. I'm like, what? It's just I me. checked the equipment, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> and man? here's my laptop. Plug it in. <laughs> yeah. We're ready to go. Let's go. Wow. So yeah. How long have how long has that crew been with you? Most of your most of your team, they've been with you for a long time. Um, my manager's been with my first manager was with me for 14 years. She's a great girl, Stephanie LaFera. Um, she moved on, went into kind of the agent side of mm-hmm. the business. Um, my current manager, Ryan Henderson's been with me for wow, six years. Uh Matt Mira, my tour manager, who's somebody I'm with a lot on the road. They make sure I get from place to place and that things execute properly. He was with me for seven years. which was highly unusual. Um, but those I'm seven with, years, that's, I mean, those are hundreds of days on the road. That's like a true seven years. I, this is more than a thousand shows. Wow. Yeah. This is probably closer to 1500 shows, you know, wow. thousand, 1100, 1200, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, we've seen each other high and low <laughs> sad times happy yeah. times you know yeah i'm sure do you get um you know you kind of have this brand of 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 music and and you know the way you live your life do you find that that more people respect it than are puzzled by it like do you find that people now kind of help you stay authentic and don't throw all that stuff in your face or do you get kind of a mixed bag um i get a mixed bag but listen it's a generational thing. Mm. Even when I kind of gave you my equation of like, dude, I, to, to kid who's 22 years old, I am Depeche Mode. I am. That's, yeah. they're going to some show at SoFi Stadium. They paid $87 for the ticket and they show up and they're like, oh my gosh, what's he going to open with? Oh my, what's uh-huh. he going to close with? Dude, I don't yeah. know. You know, and I'm lighting off this thing and, you know, and playing new tracks. So this is a new ID that I made is no one's heard it. I'm sharing it here for the first time. I mean, that's the same experience I had as a kid seeing the bands that I love. It's no different. Um, those kids get it. They understand, you know, cool. Uh, do I occasionally get like the random call from like my daughter's friend's mom who they need a DJ at their bar mitzvah <laughs> and like, do you have some speakers and are you available on this date? No way. Oh yeah. No oh, dude, way. I get, it. you would just die. They're like, do you think your dad will play? <laughs> my daughter's birthday party. She's like, like, how much equipment does your dad have? Like, is that, <laughs> you know, it's not my daughter's friends. It's usually the moms, the parents, the people that just don't know. I mean, this has yeah, happened dozens that's amazing. of times. You or even like it. people at church, like, oh my gosh. So what radio show do you do or whatever? And I'm like, oh no, I'm not. 
So typically when I meet people, what did they say? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a music producer. Mm. Oh, like what? Oh, I'm a singer, songwriter. Oh, what kind of music? Then it gets more interesting. I'm like, oh, dance music. You're familiar with electronic music. They're like, oh yeah. yeah. Well, what are you doing? I'm going to a show. Where? Oh, Tokyo. We're flying to Tokyo. You're, wait, what? You know? Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm a, a global touring artist that millions of people listen to. I don't, you know, I don't say it like that, but yeah. I never know how to like break down that wall. Cause I don't want to be like, Ehh. yeah. When Ryan first moved to San Clemente, it was funny. Cause I even remember my dad saying, yeah, there's this guy that moved into the ward. He's a DJ. I think he plays like high school proms and bar mitzvahs <laughs> and, Oh, you should do it. So you funny. should do it every now and then you should like take a random request a year when someone calls you and they're like, Hey, Dude, you know, I get I'm getting married. I get probably a dozen requests every year to play weddings because I've written so many love yeah. songs in my catalog. So all these people are like, that's the song you have to. And I'm always like, dude, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I don't can't know how to DJ a wedding. Right? Like, I yeah. mean, well, people are writing these letters yeah. and I mean, pass me shows like we'll do anything. We'll, you know, we're rich. We'll pay you. And I'm just like, it's not about that. Dude, just, you know what? I'm not the guy. You know what I heard? I heard, uh, I heard this thing with Ed Sheeran. And he gets that a lot. Like, oh yeah, people would you and and absurd amounts of money for people to do it just because whatever. And uh, you know, he's finally gotten to this point. He was t I can't remember what I think it was a podcast or something. But he's like, he's like, you know, I did this um, private party once, and the group made him play the same song four times in a row. They're just like, play it again, play it. And he's like. I'm not going to be a dance monkey. Like I won't do, I, I felt so, I just hated that feeling so much. He's like, so here's what I do now. He's like, now if someone asked me to play something, uh, like a, like a, you know, a party or a right. private show or a wedding or something like that, he's like, I'll do it if I want to do it, but I do it for free. And so, I mean, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars. And so he's right. like, he's like, yeah, every couple of years, I'll, someone will ask me to play their wedding and I'll be about it. And so I'll just play their wedding for free. And I'm like, could you imagine like, yeah, it's like, there's 35 people here. My mom's never heard of you, but. So that request, it went yeah. from 50 requests a year after he said that on the podcast. Now he gets 10,000 yeah, requests a year. <laughs> yeah. like, Please, he's like, there's just a lottery now. There's a system for it. We'll draw a picture or we'll draw. So I still, I ticket. do play private stuff from time to time. Never weddings though. Cause I'm like, it's just too much. I'm like, ah, cause then, you know, anyway, well, just would it even work in that small of, I mean, it's a different thing altogether, right? Yeah. It's like, you'd be surprised. Yeah. I don't know. There's some stuff out there. People are like, we'll rent the nightclub anyway. But I do play private stuff now and again. I mean, Post Malone does like 30 private shows a year. Mm. I mean, just cause it is, you do meet interesting people yeah, when yeah. you fly around the world. And there are some, I mean, people be like part of the stipulation. I, now I have all these stipulations cause it does get like, are you guys going to kill me at the end of this and eat <laughs> yeah. me? Like yeah. what is happening here? But uh, the one I played uh, in Davos uh, in Switzerland, I played one at the beginning of this year, which is cool because I got to go snowboarding. They're like, you need to fly in the day before because we won't have dinner with you. And with how much money we're paying you, you're going to have dinner with us. I'm like, that's reasonable. <laughs> and I could snowboard the next yeah, day, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because it's like you land at like 5 or 6 p.m. I'm like, I could potentially just fly there, play the show, and then like leave at 6 or 7 in the morning. Like just be there yeah. for 8 or 9 hours, 10 hours, you know? That's yeah, that's awesome. it, it's 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 a blessing to be able to do what you want though, because even if like you can pick the things that are interesting to you and do the things that are in line with the brand and not yeah. have to do, because you you've spent your time playing whatever show, right? Like doing whatever gig would pay you, regardless of whether or not it was on brand. I mean, imagine when you're first starting. Oh yeah, it's taking everything. Yeah, you don't have a discussion of is this my 
Is this on brand? It's like, no, they have real money. (laughs) I need to pay rent. I live in San Francisco. (laughs) I will take it. Yeah. So I got a question for you. I know you said your career has been like a slow burn and you know, it's taken a lot of time. Have you, I'm sure there's phases where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just seeing this through rose colored glasses. I love what I do. And then I'm sure there, cause I've, I'm sure this is the way it is with any job you have times and periods where maybe you're in a rut and you're like, ah, why am I doing this? How much longer do I want to keep doing this? Sure. I feel like a lot of our guys, I mean, we knock on doors and yep. sell solar to, yep. to homeowners and we deal with rejection and all that stuff. And I, it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're a sales rep that's brand new, or I've even seen this with guys that are, you know, in upper management where eventually they hit this wall. And sometimes they're like, ah, you know, I'm just in a rut and you're not seeing the job through rose colored glasses. What do you do to pull yourself out of that? Or maybe elaborate, maybe if you've got an example of when that's happened and what you do to pull yourself out. For me, to be totally honest, it had never happened because I felt like there were just so many exciting benchmarks in my career and I kept just breaking through different walls. And then right before COVID, those last couple of years, it was just, dude, I was just, crushing myself. I was crushing it. I was out there just selling. I mean, I was just, everything we'd put up would just sell out. And this, the natural inclination is just be like more like everyone around me. Cause look, every, your team gets paid off of me. I am the product. So of course everyone's like, you need to get out, dude, we got this other offer and this and that. And it is actually feasible. If we fly private from here to there, then you can get to this other show and the jet cost is only 10% of the fee. And then go over here and I'm just like, okay. It was good that COVID happened when it did because I was re- I was just like, I don't know how much of this I can handle. Like I'm just, like I still enjoyed all of it, but I was just, I didn't know how to manage it. Like I was just overwhelmed because of that last two or three years was just, so peak EDM, peak my career, peak everything. And it was good. That was a time for me to kind of pull back. And for me, even when I get a little bit of that, music's the thing that excites me the most. So it's like, cool. If I go to the studio, that's like my well, right? I get to fill it up and sit around and think of ideas and work with other people and collaborate and come up with stuff that excites me. That's where I get, or taking time off, going surfing, hanging out with friends and being like, man, I'm getting it all confused. That's not what's important. This is what's important. Hanging out with my boys, kicking it, whatever, going to get a bagel, bagel shack. Like, I don't know, man, just like, don't get it confused. Like it's here to enjoy all of it. So don't let one thing own your life or rule you. So pulling back. It's a, it's interesting because, you know, I think that was kind of the benefit of COVID for a lot of people. Um, I, tra- I travel a lot. I don't travel like you. It's hard to say I travel a lot with you here because I don't go to Dubai no, for a night. <laughs> but I've, I've said before, like, I kind of feel like sometimes like my body's a rental car. Like I look at the schedule. I see where it's supposed to be. It goes to all these things that it needs to be used for. And then it's like they ship it back home. You know, and I'm just like, sometimes I'm just like, man, it's like it's so much like I'm, I'm I, sometimes I look at my schedule. I'm like, I didn't even make this. It's crazy. Like it's all yeah. of these things. But um I like the idea of one, it's important to check in and rest and like schedule that kind of stuff and sure. to stay in control of it. Cause if you can, you don't have to have a schedule that someone else runs, but if you don't get ahead of it, that's what's going to happen. If you yep. don't get somebody on your team that looks out for you, that's what's going to happen. And so I think it's a real reminder, at least for me to like 
stay the architect, right? Like stay the architect. Like, I don't have to do everything, but pause for a second. Do you want it that full? Like, do you want it? Like, is this productive? Yeah, no, I love that. You know, because be, I think- Be the architect there. Insert yourself in the in the conversation. That's Somebody right. else is making your schedule. Like, dude, they want you to be working at your optimum level. Right. They don't want you smashing You're on the, the ground. Because then they're not, they're, it's not working, right? right? They want you to be happy. They want right. to foster this and you have playing great shows or whatever, selling at your optimum level. Um, the studio is cool because it's a different thing. Creativity doesn't, there's no timeline on creativity. Yeah. It's such an, if I schedule, cool, I've got an 18 hour day where I'm going to do a really long session. I've got two vocalists coming. It's like, nothing's happening. I'm going to go to a movie right now. Like, that's it. That's part of the process. I'm going to go see this movie and I'm going to come back and I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and then I'm going to be in a better spot. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I'm like, you know what? I need to go get an ice cream now. <laughs> like, whatever. You got to like figure out what those yeah. things are. Or I'm going to just sit here and listen to some music from my childhood. Maybe that'll spark something. So, you know, finding those things, I think it's different for everybody. And, um, you know, but you need them. You got to find them while it's out there and take control of it. Well, and you have interest too. Like I always say, you have to have a life you're excited about, like finding surfing, uh, you know, flying helicopters. It could be mountain biking. It could be running. It could be lifting weights. Like there's got to be something like if you're going to be the architect, it's got to be balanced. You got to have the values and what's important to you, which you seem to inherently know. Maybe that's through trial and error, but you seem to know like, okay, it's the family and it's my health and it's my creativity. But then it's really healthy to love being very involved in a very dynamic job um how much of your time would you say now is in creation versus like performing and stuff like how much time do you spend now making music and uh good question i think look as we kind of in the beginning i liked your question a while ago how you're like well it's just a business and i'm like yeah it took me a long time probably a decade to figure that out like okay it's kind of up and running and things are happening i need to like pull back and be like how do I optimize this? What is actually working? Where's my time best spent? Like, what do, what do I need to do here? I can't do every day in the studio and then every day playing a show. Like, okay, let's find that balance. Um, I don't actually need to make that much music to be on the road. So it's kind of like striking that balance. I'd probably say that the road is what makes me money. Sadly, I, I wouldn't, because I think it's a little once streaming became a thing and people stopped buying physical product records, CDs, cassette tapes, all this stuff. Like the balance just completely shifted. Now m music's just kind of a calling card. It's not. Yeah. Doesn't really. I have across all platforms somewhere around thirty million people that listen to my music monthly, and I'm not. I couldn't make a life on that. Like right. this is like dinner money. Like it's not, isn't that crazy? It's yeah. it boggles my mind and it's a broken system and everyone's trying to figure that out yeah. and fix it and whatever. Um, so to, I make all my money 90 over 95% of it doing shows, doing live performances. So cool. I got to put that in there and make sure that's taken care of and that that's important. Then it's like, all right, if I get a day or two a week in the studio, that's a win because I'm going to do a couple days a week on the road, a couple days a week in the studio and a few days a week for me, right? Yeah. Doing my things. Listen, that's easy for me to say 30 years into my career. Right. That was the balance wasn't that easy, you know, even 15 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, you know, fought a long time to get there. Did you say you're making a new Christmas album? Did I you am. Say that last time yeah, we're, we're break. That's breaking news. Uh, oh, am I allowed to talk about that? I, I mean, we can talk about it. It's cool. All right. Why not? 
I mean, I'll make a big announcement on my platforms and stuff. I, I won't post this clip, <laughs> yeah. but you guys could, that are in here listening. To we this can take know. it out if you need to. No. But, um, well, I think I told you that my wife is the number one consumer of your first Christmas album. Awesome. Yeah. I bet you, if you like went into your multiple platforms, you'd see Stacy Williams, 50,000 listens. Awesome. Pandora, Spotify. Yeah. It's like, she's all right. Serious she's XM in the car. All right. That's right. Thank so, you, Stacy. Yeah. She, uh, she's going to, she's going to be the ultimate measure of success of the second album. And she'll tell you, bro, if it's not, if it's not up to par, she'll tell you. I was very nervous about making a second <laughs> record and I am still, I'm very curious to see how it will be received. It's an awesome idea though. Like I know it was probably somewhat different for your, uh, uh, it's totally different. Yeah. When I put my first one on there, a handful of guys are like, oh, this is so stupid, dude. What are you just going for the bag? I forget who it was on Twitter, just like ripping me to shreds. Like, you need some money, dude. And I'm like, wait, what? I actually, my initial response was, <laughs> I already got the bag. Like when I was, was like, well, all I could think is like, dude, if you think the bag isn't making music, you've designed your career wrong. The people that are around you aren't, yeah, they're not helping you. Yeah, like come to lunch and I'll explain to you actually how it should be yeah. working in your business because well, you you're have not good music. Yeah, and you're not touring a Christmas album, or are you? Do you do Christmas? No, shows? I've never. Yeah. Done, no, I've never done a Christmas show. Although I am thinking about it now, but it, dude, won't right. be a money maker. Certainly not in the beginning. In fact, I'll lose a lot of money because putting a live band it would be a live project and that would just be purely like cool do i want to pay off my mortgage or do this concert i'll do the concert yeah you know the uh the one of my favorite definitions of creativity is the merging of two unlike things right so you have you have like house music and what you usually do and then christmas music which has a place like in your heart and in your growing up and all that and the merging of them together, I actually thought was awesome because, you know, the, I mean, when did that come out? Like 17 or something? Yeah. It's five years old now Yeah, or five, six years old, whatever that is. Yeah, 17 so, or 18. I forget. I think it was 17. Okay. We'll have to ask Stacy. <laughs> she knows. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that like, man, that plays through my home, like at Christmas time, like it's, it's a, it, you made something that, yes, you have something that you contribute to, to experiences and to, to the scene that you're a part of. But it, it kind of transcends a lot of different things. I thought that move was super cool, like going out and making Thank a you. Christmas album. And I, I couldn't remember if we if, if I had thought that you had said that or if you actually did. But the fact of keeping going every so often on it, I think, is a super cool idea. I know you're not making your career decisions based on what Jason and I here think is cool. No, it, was, but. it was fully just a passion project. But what you're saying is kind of the reaction that I got that I was like, whoa, this actually yeah. kind of fills a void. That wasn't the intent. I was just like, hey, I'm in a Christmas music I write and produce music. I'm going to make some Christmas music in the style that I like, that I want to listen to yeah. and see what happens. And sure enough, there's an audience out there for it. I think what I was saying is there's a lot of pressure on the second record because I do feel like I kind of hit this nice space of like the first record sounds quite timeless. The big yeah. problem with like EDM is like, I can listen to a song and be like, oh, that was made in yeah. 2011 when Silent was making its debut. That synthesizer was really big. So it gets very dated easily, yeah. which kind of sucks because we're so dependent on the technology. So my idea when I sat down is like, I want to be able to play this in five, six, seven, ten years and have it still sound cool. So it was less about like doing it in a specific electronic music style. I was trying to be just like more broader ranged and do songs that people would love. And I don't know anyway, but I feel the pressure is in on for the second record. I feel like it's a really special record, the second one. And I think 
I, I think it's a better listen overall, um, but I'm curious to see how it will be received. <laughs> well, well, we'll let you know. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> It'll well, be good. And your, your, your selection, like your options are, they're kind of slim pickings, right? For like Christmas music, if you're like remaking one, some of those songs are crazy old. But two, then you have like your super like religious vein, and then you have your like Jingle Bells vein. And I feel like there's like 15 Christmas, like how is there not new like classics coming in? I don't know. I think it would probably be like a challenging thing, right? Uh, yeah, but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of Christmas music out there mm. that we don't know much about. And the second record taps into that a little bit more. And I, listen, I think there's room for a handful more of records. There, there's a lot of stuff out there that kind of just goes under the radar, but then you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, mm. I have heard this before, mm. you know? Um, there's a lot out there, but yeah, it is. Some of it's very old. Nobody was doing anything like this in my space. Um, when I was living in San Francisco and I was working for the label, I actually approached them with the idea. The name of the label is Ohm, Ohm Records O-M. Yeah. And I said, hey, no one in our space has done anything Christmas related. We should do something. And the marketing director was like, home for the holidays, Ohm for the holidays. And I ended up producing like a third of that record under different mm. monikers. I was just like making up names, making songs because <laughs> they had a hard enough time coming up with content. Then when I left, they stopped doing it and I was kind of reviving that idea. That's the cool. last album. I love the idea of like pseudonyms like they used to do back in like the like revolutionary days. Like, you know, Ben Franklin would write something but throw it under a different name. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just like coming up with, they're like, dude, we have three Cascade records. Let's do one and just come up with other. Yeah. I mean, this is... This was the early on in my career. That was a, a total thing. Hip hop guys used to do that. I remember like cool Keith was like Dr. Octagon. Oh, yeah. And there was like, they just put out all these rap albums, the same dude under different names. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause they're like, Hey, I know how to make music. Why don't I just do more of it? Yeah. <laughs> hey man. Well, thank you for, uh, for spending time with us today, man. And for sharing your journey. I think, uh, it's really, it's really inspiring to see someone that's done it their own way and that's done it in a sustained way and that continues to create and, and inspire and, throughout the whole thing, knowing completely who you are and, and furthering your brand. I think it's really impressive. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. Me. Yeah. It's thanks for sharing any parting words of wisdom, Jason Allen. I don't know. I think you, you closed it out just right. Nah, it's good having you here. Dude. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Thanks. I always feel out. better when Jason's around, you know, Jason's like, he's, he's been, uh, what have you dubbed it? It's been like good energy summer or something like that. So nice. like every time we talk, he's like, Hey, like that. he's like, I have a good feeling about this month. And then we'll do something epic. And we're like, dude, you had that feeling. He just is like the, you know, he's just like the, I, the positive light. The day before you texted me about the surf ranch, I was talking to Ty and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but we're going to have a really good month. I'm not and then, kidding. <laughs> and then you text me saying, Hey, like we got this spot for the surf ranch. We can't fill the spots. And then oh, next thing you know, and we're surfing. Ended up being a great month. An 80 degree water with the perfect wave. Oh. Perfect wave. It's a yeah. fast wave, but it's a it's a fast but forgiving wave. Yes, we'll say. So, let's do it again. Well, thank you very much, and Thanks, thank guys. you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at Run the League. What are you waiting for? Run the league. Shoot us a DM. And let's get going. Hey, <laughs>